0: Hello and welcome to the Real Tech, Real Life podcast. A conversational medley with four women who've been there, done that, and lived to tell about it. Alright, we're now on the air. Well, not on the air, but you know what I mean. We'll yes. be soon. <laughs> Alright, welcome to episode number seven of the Real Tech Real Life Podcast. Today we are continuing our series on professional services Organizations, the life cycles that uh, that that they run their businesses on. Uh, we're in the scope to delivery. Last time we talked about scope uh, about scoping and requirements, and so today we're going to talk about what is one of my favorite topics, and uh, hopefully. Uh, the rest of the folks as well um, is staffing. and keep in mind that one of the four life cycles we're gonna go over is hire to retire. so this isn't this isn't really about hiring. Um, although it's hard to talk sometimes about staffing without it going into hiring but uh, we'll have a whole series on on how to hire, which I think is something all of us are pretty passionate about. Uh, but this is really about staffing. it's you've sold the project, uh, you customers are ready, getting ready to go. What what is it that you do to staff a project, and what does that look like? And so, I guess to open it up, I would um, I I'd throw it out to uh, to the panel here, and see if I can get one of you guys to explain uh, from your perse- per- perspective how you look at staffing, and but either whether it be in terms of roles or a mix of team, if you have have any any uh, any thoughts or, or best practices in how you do that.
1: I guess i can start because i'm generally thinking of it more from that pre-sales perspective which we've covered in the past and then maybe you guys can take it from there but i mean i think there's a mesh of things that go in and it probably depends on organization and various things but when you're staffing you know specifically here at technology project you know there's some core roles that you almost always add obviously project manager um, and you know protects a tech architect but it, it based on the scope of the project so you find the varying levels of skill, you know, if there's a lot of business process work to be done, then it's a business architect kind of level person, if it's um, more just kind of a collecting requirements and and with some guidance, and then, you know, it might be a business analyst. So those are the different levels. Um, and then skill set, and this is all stuff that in my, ex- well, it depends, In some organizations I think you spend a lot of time in pre-sales kind of breaking it down to that level that you know, I think it's going to need X amount of resources with these skill sets, you know, based on the scope. Um, you know, if there's heavy technical scopes, integrations, you're going to fill those people in. Um, and then you're backing into kind of all the hours to see, you know, do I need one developer? Do I need two developer? Um, so from my perspective, prior to the sale, I've, I've generally uh, in especially larger deals, you spend a lot of time kind of trying to figure out you know, what does that resourcing need to look like? Um, You know, how many bodies, what type of skill sets, what level, you know, is it a a business architect versus a, you know, lower end configurator, that type of thing. Um, And that's kind of where that process and then that kind of gets handed in. And I think that's where probably one of you guys generally pick it up.
0: Yeah, so it's a great segue, I think. So what you're saying is you're really looking at it from the level of estimate and and the types of roles and, and the seniority of the skills that are required. Miriam, when you see these LOEs come over as you you know work with your project managers and, and uh, yourself when, when you've had to field them as well, do you typically go straight at that list, or do you look to optimize it based on who you know is available and the skill sets that they may have?
2: I actually do the latter, um, primarily because um, sometimes when you back into roles, let's say uh, based on the during a sales cycle, it's determined that maybe a technical architect is not a full-time role and we decide to have a half-time full of a technical architect and a data integration person and once you assess a project oftentimes having partial resources depending obviously on the size of a gig if it's an enterprise deal a partial resource is not really the most effective way to staff a project so i like to combine roles uh when i'm encountering setups like that. I think it's one of those things that it's hard to really make major changes at the time of uh, project execution, because oftentimes you have insight into the sales uh, uh, discovery process as part of the sales delivery handoff, but it's not as insightful for you to make a bigger change than necessary. So oftentimes I I go with the overall approach that's been propose as part of a discovery, but then try to combine roles to make whole roles if possible. I think that's the cha- That's one change that I think you can make. Uh, and, and the other thing that I would try to keep in mind, and again, oftentimes it's not me, uh, but working with someone on the staffing side. I think geography is important. Um, oftentimes in an organization like ours where remote is okay, when you add uh, geography into the mix, or if you ignore geography, it becomes problematic, even for a remote project, because ultimately there's going to be times on a project where you need to have presence and uh, being on a different time zone or being, um, you know, far away, just adds complexity that perhaps isn't. if you can avoid it, you should. Yeah, I think, th-
0: sorry, got a little echo there.
2: Is that me? I don't hear it. I don't hear it
0: either. I don't hear it. Okay, hang on a sec. I just added a funky thing. I think that's my fault. Uh, sorry. I was trying to. My fault. Hang on one sec. I was trying to edit sound on the fly and I just added
2: an extra key. Sorry. I, I don't know it. what kind of magic you do, but.
0: This is like really cool. I'm,
2: I'm digging this whole
0: sound thing. This may be my new career.
2: <laughs> yeah, obviously. Cause if it was me, I would just drop off. I'm like, okay, okay I guess I'll try logging back in. That's what I would do <laughs> if there was an echo. No,
0: I, I put, I have this, anyway, I'll show you the picture sometime, but I've got this thing where you can drag in different, uh, sound fixes into, um, the mixer and I drug in a low pass filter, trying to weed out some stuff. And then when I did it connected, so I was, you were getting both my output and also the recording, which isn't good. Uh, so anyway, complicated. Um, so let me one, two, three. So Lori, let me uh, ask you, I think one of the things, I want to talk a little bit more about the staffing itself and the roles and, and, you know, the, just kind of the process behind that. But when you look at staffing project teams, do you look for, uh, do you, are there certain things around that you may look at with a customer that may impact who you put on the project or are there things around sort of the personality of the, of the project team that, that make a difference?
3: Absolutely, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I do think it's important to know what the culture is of a particular client, what um, you know, what the expectations are that have been set in the sales cycle, of course, but what the sales folks have gleaned around you know what it might be like to work in that environment, um, because ultimately it's about relationship, and so to have the best fit going in. In you're much better off and I I liked hearing Miriam say earlier that you know she looked to try to combine roles into one and rather than looking at who's available just really starting with the roles and and trying to combine them up you know we've used in the past the mantra availability is not a skill (laughs) now the reality is sometimes it If is you've got a big bench you know you have to take that into consideration who's available Um, but you know, I think it's, it's, it's much more um, of an art form than just filling in uh, available holes with available pegs, right? So it's taking into consideration what the roles are, how you can combine them, what the culture of the client is, but also what the individual resource is looking to do you know, are they looking for a new challenge? Are they sick of doing data integration? And are they trying to grow in their career? Um, Have they been on the road for the last six months and need a break from a heavy travel project? So those are all some of the factors that go into it and why staffing is super hard. (laughs) I want to ask a question about that. Um, I've got tons of other questions here,
0: but when uh everybody on the podcast now probably knows that we all work together at, at one point at Aperio when i joined aperio there was a, a sta- google staffing sheet and <laughs> uh it's that somebody started and it basically would go employee by employee and talk about what their career goals were mm-hmm. uh you know what they wanted to do next and i assume lori I think you probably were involved in creating that. I, yeah. I don't know exactly where that came from, but mm-hmm. I'd love to know a little bit about the philosophy of that. Cause I, I will say not, not bearing the lead here, but I will say that I think that's one of the most unique things early on for me at Aperio was not just thinking about resource, uh, you know, connecting the dots, but uh, in other words, I've got somebody available, let's put them over here and they've got that title. Uh, but really what is it they want to do? And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, as, as you, uh, uh were a part of that that team early on, what the thinking was behind it. Yeah, I mean,
3: so the thinking was simply that it does come down to relationship, and that um, in order to make the best match, we are matchmakers. And so we need to keep in mind not just um, you know the the roles and the skills that are needed, but who the individual people are and what motivates them, and find roles where they can be most successful um and and be superstars and you know one of the things that you know i was proud of is that we as a company and as a culture were able to maintain that you know that that approach and that philosophy all the way through right that wasn't just something we did when there were 50 of us you know that was something that that consulting ops really lived by um, at every stage of our development. And I think, you know, we were such a people oriented culture that it was just second nature to us. It was like, well, of course we're going to look at that, but it really took a dedicated staff of people to do that. And I know those of us who've been involved in helping with those staffing decisions really appreciated the people who did that full time. Um, Because it was (laughs) such a challenge. Absolutely. And I do think that um, some
0: flavor of that, that, uh, uh, that spreadsheet still exists. I think it's been automated now, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I know it still does exist. And so Miriam, I would, um, Lori brought up consulting operations and I'd be curious again, as somebody that led, uh, you know, our, our project management team for, for a long time, I'd be curious, what was the interaction between the PMs and consulting ops? Was it a uh, sort of a fulfillment? Was consulting ops just fulfilling or was it a, a two-way dialogue?
2: Um, Again, I have to go back in history, because as we talk about some of these, uh, I love how we evolved. And as a matter of fact, the spreadsheet, thanks for reminding me of it, because I loved how it tied back to the hire, groom, staff part, uh, because the one-on-ones that managers had with their uh resources reflected in that spreadsheet which fed staffing i just love how the world was connected and I, i'm glad to hear given that i'm not as uh, involved with that part of the process i'm glad to hear that some form of it exists today um, so but i um now so the reason i kind of went down that path is because we've evolved as a company and um, things have gotten more complex whereas some of the stuff that was easier for us to do with change consulting ops is no longer can in fact scale in the optimal way uh but i do remember uh, the days that you would get on a weekly uh, calls with ops where we had the pipeline of projects and we had pipeline you've got the delivery managers who have the people and then you had people who were preparing to put projects together like pre-sales and we would come together as a team on an ongoing basis to formulate okay Who are the right players? What are their current temperature? Are they ready for what that project may entail? So I I do know that uh, at some point in time, uh, we emphasize consulting ops to be much more than fulfillment. However, as we've grown, uh, much like given that we've got hundreds of projects uh, that are concurrently happening, I think it's becoming a lot more one-on-one interaction. So I have uh, a a consulting operations person that is assigned to me and we have an ongoing weekly discussion. Very little input at the time of staffing but uh, a continued discussion around how the team needs to be shaped and formed, what's coming, what's working, what's not working. So I would say uh, if I had to pick I'd love the much more connected uh, consulting operations kind of working closely with delivery managers and project managers uh, having that opportunity, but I also acknowledge that that's not something that scales as you grow. Um, So the current model works uh, fairly good, but I feel that it's a little bit disjointed. I I don't really have a lot of history with the the resources and what's going on in their world. The way I'm compensating for that is monthly meeting with the, Managers uh, of the staff, so that I have some insight into what they're feeling. If I'm not able to have those kind of conversations myself with them and get into what's uh, what is what are their feelings about the project, yes. what are
0: the challenges? I think some of that is is just there are a lot more people. I mean, um, certainly early on there weren't very many at all. I know um, around the time that I got more involved, uh, there were roughly about sixty billable people, and it it was possible for somebody to keep that sort of straight in their head in terms of their backgrounds uh their strengths their weaknesses who they worked well with and who they didn't uh who were unicorns and i we probably should devote a whole five minutes to talking (laughs) about unicorns here in a minute yeah uh, because they're really important i think to services organizations and unfortunately i think they get kind of uh ignored we'll talk about that in a little bit um but I, i do think that as you scale it's harder it's impossible for somebody to know everything about 1500 people uh, and so the more you can kind of break that out, um, and, and, have it a little bit either, whether it be regionally or, or, or team focused, it, it's necessary. Uh, but one of the other challenges and Andrea, uh, you know, again, having played that role between sales and delivery a bit, I think one of the other challenges is what do customers expect? Um, you know, first of all, do they want to meet resources in the, uh, the, the, the sales process? And how far in advance do we have to, quote, reserve, which is a very deadly word, I think, in, in consulting, <laughs> but how, how early do you have to sort of reserve resources if customers are, are adamant about uh, using certain folks? Yeah,
1: I think, I mean, that's probably one of the most challenging parts of kind of the sales to delivery because i mean i think we even talked about it on one of our previous podcasts here that from a buyer perspective you're really buying people and personalities and the skills of course but you want people that are going to mesh with your people so you could you know have three different uh, business analysts and one of them just really meshes with your team and so you kind of if i were the buyer I honestly would want to see, you know, who are we going to be working with? I want to make sure our teams mesh, you know, that type of thing. And, and it would probably, you may prevent kind of some things going down the line. However, from the consulting firm's perspective, I mean, the people are our product. So that's kind of like, you know, me calling up Apple and saying, hey, I think I'm going to want one of your phones. So just set it aside and you know, and if, if I don't want it in three months, then whatever, you know, and you've lost revenue on that. I guess that's not a great example. But, um, you know, from a staffing group, we can't, we need our people to be utilized. That's how we make money. And so kind of holding people and not staffing them elsewhere and all of these things is a really, really big challenge. And so um, I don't know that, I don't, I don't know that we've ever found a balance and maybe you guys have a different you know different understanding of that i think it definitely the size of the project makes a difference when it's a you know multi million dollar program it's probably in both of our best interests the consulting firm and the client to make sure that at least the top resources you know fit and all those things that are going to stick it out because it's also very expensive to swap resources out immediately um so yeah i don't know if any of you guys have like we ever got to a way that we can resolve that
0: i mean to me ultimately it comes to trust Who's going to help establish trust between the customer and and the vendor fastest, right? And in some cases, it may be because they already know somebody, uh, but you may also know that longer term, they may not be the best fit for that. Uh, So the question becomes, you know, do you, uh, how early do you broach that topic? Um, And then you've also got the issue of uh, organizations, um, when people go to buy services, they want to talk to people that have done it before. But a lot of times, those people are already dedicated to other projects. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I do think that it is, uh, it sends the wrong message to take a resource that's really highly valued that might have been used in the sales cycle to explain how we've done something before, but to take them from a previous customer and give them to a prospect or, you know, a new customer, that sends the wrong message too. And so I think ultimately this comes down to, you know, a fair amount of marriage counseling, to be honest, Um, (laughs) and trying to make sure that you've got got the right mix and which sort of leads me to the next question uh, and for for any of you guys to answer if you had a choice of of starting today with a project team knowing that you could start today and you've got at least you've got the bases covered or waiting three four weeks and having kind of the the nirvana of project teams uh, what would you choose and assume that you may have some budget challenges if you wait you know, that yeah. extra couple of weeks, what would you do?
1: I th- I'll take that. I mean, I think the latter is going to always be the better. However, you have to understand what are the date drivers on the client side. I mean, you know, perhaps they've got a multi million dollar licensing thing they have to get off of by X date. Um, so you have to balance out those factors. But I think if you can do that, generally getting the right project team started at the right time is going to be more effective than the other, in my opinion. Yeah.
3: I mean, I've heard that a little bit differently because, you know, Lori, you had said that it, you have the bases covered. So, you know, from my perspective, I'd rather get going, you know, as long as it, not to say that I'm going to put the wrong project team or a subpar project team, but if I have the key roles um, available and ready, then I want to start uh, delivering uh, as, as soon as possible, assuming that I have a bench. I mean, part of but you have to look at the overall flow, but um, you know, when I've been involved in staffing, it's how do we get started as quickly as possible. Um, assuming that you have key roles, you know, I never think it's good to jump the gun and start with people you're gonna have to switch out or people that you really have to talk yourself into believing that this is gonna make the client successful. But if you've got the key and you can sort of do this rolling start of other team members, I think that's preferable to, to waiting for the for everybody.
1: I think there, there there was a prime example of you just thinking more about what's better for the consulting side as far as getting those folks utilized mm-hmm. in our product. And I was thinking a bit more from the uh, the client side as far as what would I want as a client. But I think, yeah, definitely very right. valid.
0: I mean, ultimately, it is a supply-demand issue, right? Right, um, yeah. You're trying to marry up the two. What uh, All organizations, all services organizations need to grow skills. And so there are going to be times where you've got a large percentage of the bench that may not have, uh, as much seniority as the folks that are always being grabbed. How do you look at a project team that where, you know, you're going to have to not have to, but, um, the, a couple of the resources that, that you're going to have on the team are perhaps more junior. Uh, how do you look at that team? I mean, what uh, what would you do with the customer or what would you do with the team to make sure that while they probably have really good raw skills, they it may be kind of new to them? Um, are there ways that you'd look at, you know, either putting them in certain roles or, or uh, you know, even addressing it with a customer?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's... Um such a challenge you know especially when you're when you're hiring quite a bit and you know folks just haven't had the experience yet but are certainly smart and capable and i think building in some level of mentorship for those more junior resources or or folks who are newer to a skill is absolutely key and i typically like to to be up front with the customer uh, about what the situation is and uh, you know sometimes we've even gotten creative uh, just in terms of uh, rates with newer um, uh, consultants or, or done some sort of hybrid you know more senior with the newer uh, resource
2: uh, for me um, i think it's all about the balance um, you cannot truly be successful with having an entire team of new, more Mm. junior people. I think that's the reality of it. So I think that ultimately, uh, depending on the size of a team, you can absorb one or two new people because the rest of the team can also be on the project mentors. I like Lori's idea, but also uh, having the ability to be able to provide support in the context of a project Mm -hmm. is important. But you change that balance, have one skilled person and five uh, brand new hires, that's a risk. And, uh, and I don't want to steal the thunder for the next session that we have. But to me, uh, the project complexity, the idea of how complex a project is, should play a role in staffing in an ideal world. Uh, because a project compared to another project should not always be apples to apples, and there is a way to stand back and look at them and assess the complexity. And that complexity is not always technical complexity, it could be organizational complexity. Um, so I think in ideal world, if that had a say or a play in the staffing process, we can make more smart decisions. Now, having said that, I also know it's not an easy thing to do, it's yet more factors to consider in addition to everything else we've talked about. Uh, in things that that, you should think about doing staffing.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think this is where we talked earlier about consulting operations. And and in services organizations I've been in prior uh, to actually joining Imperio, the resource manager was truly a resource manager. I mean, they were, this person has this skill set and this project needs this skill set and, you know, kind of just matchmaking there. Um, but I think that one of the things that, uh, again, our consulting ops um, started started by Courtney Courtney Dial and now, you know, with Binet and, and Lisa and then the rest of the crew now, they understood the projects. They actually mm-hmm. read the statements of work and understood kind of the dynamics. They worked with the salespeople um to kind of get in the middle and i think that helps uh, a great deal which nice segue y'all are doing awesome today by the way um perfect segue into uh the next question or not question but th- let me throw this out there um y- let's talk unicorns uh i mean how important are first of all if anybody else wants to describe what a unicorn is that'd be great if not i'm happy to do so anybody have a good definition
2: how would a Swiss Army knife. I'll replace unicorn with yet another way to refer to the same thing. Um, to me, a unicorn is that multi-purpose, multi-talented person that can he do as
1: most things well. Magic.
2: Yeah, can, can, can do them in just about any scenario.
1: They can play multiple hats, multiple roles, and do it well and make you know the customer's happy, the project successful.
0: Yeah, I, I, exactly, and I think when you are able to have a unicorn on a project, they're able to first of all bring other folks along that may have very niche skills that are needed, but maybe not as broad as they need to cover the whole role. Um, but they make people better. But they also are able to build confidence with customers, and you know, they're hard to uh, you know they're they're hard to grow. Um, they're hard to find. In fact, I have uh, Courtney. And I used to have, and I still do, literally sitting in front of me right now, I still have at a unicorn wand um, that when uh, a, a salesperson would call and say, uh, you know, we've got this project, but we need these 17 things and they need to speak Hebrew at the same time they're able to you know, actually drive a Ferrari backwards and, you know, whatever it was that they needed, we would wave our magic unicorn wand and, and pray that somebody would appear. But, uh, <laughs> but, that is you know, it's very much that is uh, key. And I think that it's, it's that's true in any business, not just services. But if you've got that one person that can be the glue and bring other people along with them and at the same time build confidence with the customer, which is ultimately what this is about, uh, then they're very rare and they need to be taken very good care of. Um, and, you know, I think certain people are, are, unicorns in different situations. Um, but I remember I, I, I uh, there were a couple of folks early on that, uh, at, at a period that, it was always funny. There was like, uh, there's one particular person I'm thinking of where I would have one salesperson arguing. They had to have this person on the project because they were the best technical architect ever. And then s- the other salesperson was arguing that they were the best project manager ever. And I'm like, <laughs> usually you don't see those two things together. Um, that is the unicorn. <laughs> My <laughs> favorite rare. Yeah, my favorite
1: scenario, and that is is that tech architect's already on one of that salesperson's projects and needs him on the other one, and you get to throw it back. Okay, you tell me. Which, <laughs> one, do you want, which one do you want him or her on?
0: That's right. As, as Diane Schotton says, red pill or blue pill?
1: Which yeah. Pill
3: <laughs> That's right. Lori, anything to add on the unicorn front? Yeah, I mean, I, when I reflect back, I think you know early on when you're building a business, I, I think we – looked for those people in hiring i mean we had to right when we were so um small and and we wanted to be able to use people in a variety of different ways but i think that only gets you so far that um you know as you said those people are hard to find they're hard to come by and i think you know the other thing to keep in mind with them is is because there's so few of them trying to leverage them you know sometimes across multiple projects even though you know as miriam said it's it's not good typically, to have partial resources, but but with those folks, you know maybe there are certain scenarios where um, you know you need to look for ways in which they can provide value to more than just one project at a time and uh, certainly provide mentorship to other folks as you're growing growing folks. So I, right. I can give
1: an example from the folks on this call is that Laurie has very remember our very first project at our previous employer, <laughs> where we were both thrown on this project I think you're technically we were the PM, right, but you were also (laughs) doing, and I was the data migration person, meaning I had to, like, write all these scripts to migrate data from uh, PeopleSoft into Salesforce, Um, and so, like, the only thing I knew how to do was access, Microsoft Access, this is dating myself, and I had this whole thing built out of Microsoft Access, but I was so embarrassed to actually show it to real technical people, (laughs) because, I didn't know what it did, was done,
3: but it did the trick. And by the time you got to the end of that project, you had an easy button, right? You just clicked yep. one button and it worked yeah. magic.
1: That was not that we were unicorns per se, but that's an example of not doing things that are not within your comfort zone. And we somehow managed to be successful.
0: <laughs> Booth Force worked for us. Yes. <laughs> Oh, God. So Miriam, a question for you. Do you see the project manager as uh, somebody whose role it is to uh, you know, drive the project, drive the deliverables, drive the customer only? Or are they also responsible for helping to uh, build the, not just the team and the kind of team camaraderie, but helping to advance the team with, with their skills where it's appropriate?
2: Thing, speaking first-hand experience given that because I, uh, I know how you
0: love people so let's talk people <laughs> yes.
2: uh, I, I do uh, well yeah that's for a different episode but um, I uh, I actually think it's project managers all of the above and um, I think a project a, a true project manager is the one that equally can balance the two the customer needs and the team's needs um, oftentimes I think it's not unusual to feel like the mommy or the daddy uh, of the team is because uh, you've got many dynamics at play. You've got the team, your own team's dynamics. You've got the customer's team's dynamics. You've got the project pressure pressures of timeline and money and scope. Any one of those dials that you focus on, you're letting go of something else that's equally important. Um, so a project manager really is that person who goes across all those uh, and uh, you don't need to love people uh, and your people as well as the customer's people. Oftentimes, I think we keep going back to the word r- relationships. Those relationships are integral part of any successful team. And then you have to bring the customer team and a project team together, which I think another challenge that it took me a while to fully grasp on what makes consulting difficult is that it's not often that you get a consulting team from your side that ever worked together as an entire team before so that teaming that needs to happen for you to be productive and functional and then layer in the customer team and then layer in okay now that we're all a team we have actually goals to meet it's a pretty complex problem to solve and do it in a short bounded time frame and under budget or at least on budget if not more I
0: think that is such an important point. And I also know that uh, it, sometimes it's very difficult, especially as you're hiring people and growing and, and maybe you have people that have joined that, that haven't necessarily worked on a lot of projects. It's hard to know how they're gonna work with a team. And that's not something that you typically you know have on a staffing chart, right? I mean, well, plays well with others. Um, I I think that's an important thing. One of the things that uh, you know we of course did early on was within Consulting One Hundred One, as we did the uh, joint team project exercise. It was always enlightening to see how people did with when it wasn't just them responsible for something but but having to work within the team and and, and we had uh, you know the consulting ops team actually set in on those because it was helpful for them to see who can bring people along because it is a skill um, I think to, to force that bonding and, and and it is something that I believe gets left behind in a lot of services organizations of it's not just let's put people's names by roles but let's really think about what it's going to take to get to get this delivered and get the team functioning well together so I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up
2: and, and I'm so glad that you brought up this little incredible nugget that we did that for Consulting 101, forming artificial teams, people coming together in a short period of time. Uh, Lori, I've completely forgotten about that brainchild of yours. Uh, I, I, I think that's phenomenal. And I don't know if that still happens today. But uh, giving people a chance to mock play, a mock project, is huge in a consulting world, given that at the, I mean, at the sizes that we try to hire and grow as fast as we work, sometimes you were hiring people who had never been consultants, smart, uh, brilliant in what they were doing, but they were not consultants. What does it take to be a consultant? What does it take to work with other people? So uh, thanks for the reminder of, on that. That's why I love these podcasts. Even I'm reminded of things that I've completely forgotten.
0: <laughs> yeah, and actually, I don't even remember if that was my idea. I remember I forced it on you um
2: but it was a pretty good
0: one who's <laughs> the one but we made it happen i remember we had like we a week before it on the it. next consulting one on one, and i was like hey miriam go come up with a project um i, I, I think will is fun. the one that ended up developing that that was fun but and they do still use it uh to, to um today which is is fantastic nice. that's great to hear yeah it's good to hear things things continue on so i think as you um and, you know, this is a hard topic to just keep narrowed only to staffing because it very much touch, touches on people development. It touches on project management, and I know we'll, we'll get in, into that a little bit later. But, um, you know, as you think back through uh, the staffing exercises that you, you guys have been in, in, involved in in the past, uh, do you have any any words of of wisdom as we start to kind of segue out of this uh this topic and we'll go into project management for our for episode eight but do you have any words of uh, wisdom for people that are looking at their organizations and trying to figure out how they can optimize staffing for for themselves
3: well i think you know flexibility is key but i think one of the areas that you have to be really careful about is rolling people on and off a project and so, you know, Andrea mentioned the scenario that quite often you'll have contention between two different deals or the the newest, latest, greatest deal versus one that's going going, you know, in progress and going along well. So, of course, it can take a little bit of uh, um, <laughs> a challenge. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I I just think that. Um, you know, not to underestimate the impact to changing resources. You know, certainly there are times where it's necessary, but I think how you do that and, and how you communicate that is really important. I, I think I,
1: on, on the tactical side, um, just having kind of a matrix of the people you have and the skills you have, they have, and where they've been successful and varying things like that, having that centralized, it sounds kind of obvious. And I think, you know, Laura, you made the point um, of that spreadsheet we had early on, which I had forgotten about, but I agree. I don't think I've ever seen that elsewhere where that went into the depth about what is this person actually, what's their career path? What do they want to be? Are they happy with the projects they've done? So, I mean, I think that's kind of the advanced level, but even having kind of just those a centralized format of who are the skills that are available where do they you know what do they do well what are their skills those kinds of things um i think is a great and a lot of times i think it, in some organizations it's more tribal knowledge than documented uh, which is hard to scale um so i think that's a key thing
2: yeah the only other thing i would add is uh, understanding the customers resources that will play a role in the project is an insight that would be great to have because as you formulate your team Knowing what gaps you have to feel, fill, as well as potentially some overlaps that may exist, may give you the ability to not just staff based on our needs or what we think a project team should look like. So having an insight or some understanding of the customer players uh, would be beneficial in staffing the right team.
0: Yeah, and I would just I would sum up as well by saying, kind of round this episode out. I, On this topic, um, it's not just about matching technical skills or subject matter expert skills against what was in the, 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 the estimate or the the resource plan that was built initially. It's about the soft skills a lot of times. It's, you know, can they build trust with the customer? Uh, do we need this person to be, uh, you know, able to present and, and hold a room, so to speak? Or do we need somebody that can work behind the scenes because we've got a couple of other big personalities and we need somebody that will be kind of that steadying influence? Um, and I think that those are the kinds of things that uh, the, that you need to, to understand about the team in addition to, what do they really want to do? Because ultimately, if your project team is motivated um, and they feel like it either applies to what their long term goals are or what their career goals those may be the same thing, they may be not. Um, but but that helps uh, certainly helps to to bond the team. And so this is uh, you know I'm sure that as we get into talking about hire to retire, uh, all these themes will start to come up again because they're very much related to, to people development. Uh, but ultimately, it does come down to making sure you've got the right mix of both soft and technical and process and you know uh, uh, expert skills that you need in addition to somebody that can lead that team in a way that they all feel confident with. So thank you guys. This was an awesome segment um, and uh, a lot of fun. Hopefully people will benefit from it. So let's segue into our lightning round. So today, I, in, for those uh, you know that are listening, uh, I just sort of make these questions up on the fly, so they have no idea what I'm going to ask. Uh, it could be, could be all kinds of fun here. But uh, so let's talk about um, let's talk about travel in 2017, Lori. I know you've you've had a little bit of time to do some things, and uh, you, you've recently been on a, a trip to. Uh, well, you tell the trip that you just recently went on.
3: Sure. I was just in Asheville, North Carolina, which I heard somebody describe as San Francisco of the South. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's their official tagline, but I was really buying it. Um, I had always heard great things about uh, Asheville, but I absolutely loved it. It's a beautiful setting full of you know lush green mountains. Um, the weather was perfect when I was there, so that didn't hurt, but lots of great food and music and sort of... Uh, yogis and eastern influence um Appalachian culture it was just this eclectic mix so that was my um latest road trip you had yogis there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were some yoga shops and some Not like yoga you know, you're, kidding. you're kidding that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> and we were there to hear music it was a great blend too uh I don't consider myself a foodie but Um, had some of the best food ever and just great combination of, of food and music. So what more do you need?
0: (laughs) Good, good veg, vegetarian.
3: uh, Yes. Yes. Lots of good vegetarian options. How much of it was fried? (laughs) (laughs) I had nothing that was fried. (laughs) (laughs) It was also a very dog friendly um, uh, town. I don't know if I told you guys this or not, but my hotel um, the first thing that you see walking in, it says, come on up to the second floor and meet our foster dog. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That is funny. So wow. The hotel actually takes in these foster dogs and the dogs live there until they adopt them out. Um, it was lo- with a local rescue organization called Charlie's Angels. And so I met little Ringo and uh, Resistance. So I still only have my four. <laughs>
2: funny you say that because last December I was at Asheville we stayed at the Omni Grove Park Inn yeah. and one time by accident we got to the ground floor and I saw people walking around with their dogs so <laughs> this one floor was dedicated to people who were traveling with their pets and now that I have a dog it dawned on me that's why I, oh wow okay you <laughs> know for future references that I guess I could take the puppy along with me I don't know if that's gonna be vacation though, but you should. You
0: definitely should take the puppy with you because I think that would be that would be worth a podcast series in and of itself.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, the number of new people I've met and talked to uh, just because I got a puppy is amazing. So Andrea, for people you like you and I, the introverts, holy cow, I don't want to talk to people at six a.m. in the morning, but people stop <laughs> by and talk to you, but you with that puppy.
0: <laughs> Miriam and Blue Bluebell hit the road. You're not exactly.
2: selling it, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm still uh, being sold on it. Uh, Miriam, while we're on you, any
0: any trips in recently or planned that you're looking that you want to talk about?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I live for travel. I wish I could do it all the time. Um, spring break, we went to the Caribbean and love it. I think uh, it's been a year and a half since we had a trip to the Caribbean, and how can you go wrong with the sun? white sand and blue water. I mean, that's perfection yeah. for me. <laughs> that sounds beautiful. Yes, So, uh, but I have also just finished planning a trip to Maine, and Maine is a late discovery for us. We discovered Maine probably three or four years ago because we have friends who have a house on a small little island, so we're going back there. So I'm really looking forward to going back to Maine and uh, kind of be one with nature, I think. It's, it's just an, if you guys haven't been there, I always wonder why people go to Maine, of all the places in the world you can go to. How, how, why would you go back to the same place every year? Mm-hmm. And then Do after I the went, coast I understand Oh uh, We actually fly into Portland, but then we drive um, an hour and a half to Rockland. Then we get on a ferry and go for another hour to this little island called uh, North Haven. Hmm. The population of the island is 3,000 during the um, non summer months. That's in summer it kind of doubles in size uh, but it's incredible I mean the lobstermen live on the island uh during the non-travel uh, times and uh it's one of those little islands that it's it's got a lot of history and it's very unknown so people who live there or have houses are the ones whose parents or grandparents kind of been passed on in the family it's a beautiful beautiful place
0: oh, that's, that's awesome are you going to take bluebell with you
2: <laughs> oh my god that's my don't talk about it because now i'm trying to figure out what do i do with her for you seven take days take her i
0: mean come Why on you take care?
2: are you serious that's what no, i'm thinking to you. You gotta take you, her. i'm afraid of taking her on a plane of all the stories that you hear um oh, i don't know it's a, it's I, a rough I, ride you know Dro- i mean fly drive boat ride and then get on an island she may not want to come back either
3: no, and D.C. has a lot of good um, options for doggy daycare that are like at farms where dogs can like run. And I, I uh, used to take Toffee to this farm and she learned how to hunt rabbits. I'm going to talk to you, Lori, about it, because, I mean, I just
2: have I mean, there's so many information. I'm getting this like this rover.com, uh, you know, this house mm-hmm. there's house option. There is like these pet spas. I'm just like, okay, I'm just like a mom trying to figure out what do I do with my baby the first trip that is longer than... Uh, well, some of them actually
0: know. have, um, they'll put uh, video cameras in their little rooms yeah. them, so you can watch them. Yeah,
2: yeah. Which seems I mean, that's, creepy I'm hoping you can do that. It's creepy, but you know, you have your babies. You have those little that's baby cams. so... That's right. So Andrea, you, um,
0: you took some time off earlier this year. I don't know if you have any upcoming vacations, but any, any travel you, um, of interest?
1: Yeah, actually, no, my, the highlights so far this year, I took my son, so I started maybe, I don't know, six years ago, so he's 15 now, so I think when he was 9 or 10, um, trying like one week in a year to take him somewhere, and actually the first one was back to D.C. with where we hung out with Miriam and Laurie and their kids um, a few years back, but anyway, he, uh, we went to New Orleans, he's big into music, um, and he's played in the, in the school band and the jazz band for years and we talked about it and that's where he wanted to go and ironically I actually had never spent time in New Orleans of all the travel I've done around the United States and um, so he and I just on our own went um, went there over his spring break um, and just had a fantastic time. I mean, I wasn't quite sure you know, taking your fifteen year old to like Bourbon Street <laughs> is <not laughs> kind of, and it's not really his thing. But we happened to go on a weekend was where they had a festival. It wasn't um, the big jazz fest, but the French Quarter festival, and so you know there was tons of music everywhere, and we just spent a lot of time walking through the French Quarter and um, you know a lot of food and a lot of various things, um, and just had a really really good time. I wasn't sure, because I'm not as big into the music, and obviously Bourbon Street, I'm past the age where that was appealing, and plus I was with my fifth year you know. um, So I wasn't sure how kind of it you know, would go, but I mean, just the energy of the city was fantastic, and, and literally the first day we were there, um, like I said, he's played, he plays m- many instruments, but he was play, he plays piano in the jazz band, and we happened to go to the um, the jazz museum. And we were checking it out and, and I had to step out to take a phone call and he started talking to some of the guys and they were doing a show like in an hour at the Jazz Museum and it's actually like the Park Grangers that do this show. And he, um, they said, yeah, come to our show, you know, maybe we'll bring you up on stage. And we did go to this show and they literally like brought him up on, and let him play in one of their songs, which I think, I know you guys all saw the recording because I was so proud of this, Great. but it was so cool. He literally she got up really and, cool. um, what do they call that, Lord, not ad, I would say ad hoc, but um, improv. Improv. Yeah. And it's like, but he knew, I guess he's played enough jazz. Cause I wouldn't have a clue what to do. He knew how to get the beat and improv and all of that. Um, and that was like the first afternoon we were there and it was pretty awesome. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's always fun to, as you guys know, hang out with your kids and have a good few days, but, um, yeah, definitely the way, highlight.
0: By the way, hmm? I would say just musically, um, you know, folks that can do that, it, it's, it's not very easy to do. It's rare. It's a gift that he could just sit there and, and play based on chords and make stuff up. I mean, that's with a band behind him that he never played with before. It's pretty impressive.
2: He was pretty that's, impressive. It sounded really good.
1: That's, uh, yeah, it's for, from you, from Laurie, who plays music because I don't, and I had no clue. So I was like, how did you do that? How did you know what to play? What did you, how did you, I was just like, he's like, hey, it was no big deal. I've done it before. I'm like, all right. Nice. <laughs> so uh but uh yeah so then we started going to shows it was like maybe somebody else would invite you up but apparently that was a unique scenario but um but anyway yeah that was my highlight and so far i love that
0: you're doing that with your sons too so uh yeah i need to start with my
1: younger son doing the same thing so cool tradition so so Laura, I,
0: you tell us about your trip. Yeah, no, I do. So I have one coming up. I'll, and so I have to report back on this and see how long this lasts. But no, I'm so I'm going to uh, Italy. I'm going to Assisi. And it's a, a, a mostly silent retreat with good food. Let me just put that part out there.
3: Well, wait. Have you one. added the mostly in front of silent? Or is it actually <laughs> <new>? <laughs> I kind
0: of have, yeah. <laughs> I, don't know, I can talk to myself in my room. I mean, it'll be to okay. say
1: she's going to be in her room at night. You're going to hear the crazy lady <laughs> having conversations. So, what do you think about the day? I thought it was great. What did you think?
2: <laughs> as long you as can can have in your phone, anymore. you can call one of us too. So, like we are there at your service if you ever really feel you need to talk. I may
0: I may be trying to record a podcast every night. While I'm going. <laughs> it's be whispering.
2: Yeah, white noise, nothing. You know, right? That's going to be the podcast
1: podcast yeah. at night like all the things you wanted to say during the day but couldn't at the silent retreat
0: <laughs> that would be a good idea i don't know we'll see how this goes i'm just trying to f- figure out a way to, uh, to kind of put a put a, a bick on a, a, a bookend on my uh, my my career at a and and this is a good way for me to kind of be quiet for a little while because y'all know i've not been quiet for many years <laughs> so uh,
2: <laughs> i mean like you this way
0: yeah, well, we'll see how this works. Uh, and then, of course, uh, following that, I've got a, a, a good good little stint um, in Italy, having some good food and going to the coast. So I'll, I'll get a proper vacation out of it. And, you know, if they fire me after the second day and make me leave, there's plenty of other places to go. <laughs> But uh, I'll definitely report back. So anyway, well, thanks everybody for joining today. Uh, Great episode and look forward to the next one where we're going to be talking about project management, which very much is uh, about leveraging uh, the staffing that we just talked about, the staffing process and the sales process and everything that we've uh, talked about to date. So look forward to having everybody back on the next episode. join us again on an upcoming episode. But in the meantime, visit our website at realtechreallife.com. Check out our episode guide and leave us comments and feedback and questions that you'd like to have us answer in future episodes. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe to our
2: podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher.